0: You're listening to an app session from the 2019 ARC Conference in Anaheim, California. For more resources to equip you and your local church, visit archchurches.com.
1: Well, hey, I've got uh, some stuff to share with you guys. A little bit of brain damage incurred over the last few uh, decades of uh, not only the decade at Disney, but then um, heading out and uh, working from the Magic Kingdom to God's Kingdom. But I'm going to try to fast forward because we've got some actual gurus in the room here. we got Mark from Father's House, Stan Endicott, Peter McGowan, my, uh, my boss and co-founder of uh, Plain Justice. So anyways, um, I want to make sure that uh, you get a chance to meet uh, some, some real gurus. But let me share uh, some thoughts, some brain damage, uh, and really it just boils down to this. Uh, at the end of the day, we have come to learn and believe that story is fundamental for the human. Uh, I know you're, none of you are allowed to watch or admit that you watch Game of Thrones but after this multi-year saga the whole thesis the whole point of the whole deal was that what, what you know, makes us human and what unites us at the end of the day it's not armies it's not politics it's not ideologies it's, it's story I mean its story is core to the human conditions it's, it's um, story forms who we are it transforms who we can become uh, it's how we kind of get our sense of, of, uh, I mean, if if essentially we didn't have that ability to connect the dots in linear fashion, we'd all be these kind of schizophrenic, um, kind of one-celled organisms or something just kind of bobbing around. Um, And so story is kind of a big deal. Uh, And what we've learned is that within the church, um, unfortunately, there's kind of a limited understanding of of both the definition, uh, but particularly the power of story. And unfortunately, um, I was, uh, you know, part of that, um, you know, I I grew up in Europe, Germany, never even met someone that would say that uh, they had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ until uh, my dad retired We moved out uh, to California, followed some cute cheerleaders to a uh, Bible study under under a campus, split to convert strategy, Uh, and again, I I, I was pretty sold out in Jesus. You know, I, I really had that heart for evangelism wanted to get out there and start selling fire insurance, but uh, I was self-aware, smart enough at the time to realize that I was no preacher, I was no verbal storyteller. Um, I couldn't even complete a sentence without saying, dude, at least twice. Uh, And so I, you know, just kind of kept doing what God wired and created me to do, which was hide in a closet and just draw pictures, uh, pictures of future cities and theme parks and master plans been doing that since I was 11 12 years all my poor little brother I'd lock him in the room and make, make him uh, you know listen through every kind of uh, crazy idea that I would uh, draw up but again little did I know that I was just simply following uh, kind of the imprint of the God that you know introduced himself as an artist as an architect as the creator uh, and um, I didn't know it I hadn't metal, but I was bearing his image and um, and again I, I couldn't help but be creative when it came. To get my first Boy Scout merit badge, you know, was it wood carving or up chucking, whatever that is? It was architecture. Uh, and so I just had to follow that that weird wiring through. But what I what we've learned is that uh, God's raised up a lot of men and women that are awesome at that traditional gift of verbal, oral storytelling, which, by the way, Jesus was pretty awesome at. Uh, other great storytellers of the especially 20th century, Martin Luther King, Billy Graham. Uh, to be honest with you, i got to confess, I'm a little jealous of especially a Do you have that, that traditional gift of verbal, oral uh, storytelling, uh, a pastor that can hold a room in his hands, raise it up? Yeah, that's powerful gifting. Well, we've learned that our skill is a little different. It's to hold up the arms of those that have been uh, entrusted with stewarding the greatest story ever told, Uh, right? The that that is the gospel, creation, brokenness, redemption, renewal, and really helping them help the lost world uh, understand how God is writing them into his story and history. Uh, And that takes lots of different skills. And one of the, the... folks that I ended up learning that from was uh, a guy that died just a a little over two years before I was even born, uh, this guy named Walt Disney, and I've learned when I'm talking to crowds in the year 2019, especially your age, that I have to remind people that Disney was a dude, that (laughs) it's not just this corporate brand, but there was actually this uh, Midwestern farm boy born in 1901, never finished high school, but somehow managed to kind of at least by some accounts, uh, be considered, again, one of those greatest storytellers of the 20th century. The difference is he did not have, and the reason I always resonate with him is we did not share that gift of verbal, traditional, oral storytelling that uh, a lot of pastors and preachers have. He was self-aware, humble, wise, smart, whatever you want to call it, enough to realize that to get a story out to a larger audience and he could you know, lock in a room uh, like his little brother. Uh, he had to basically lean uh, and find artists, architects, artisans, uh, people that were better than him something to get that story out to a to broad discipline. And again, that's how we're blessed and humbled and honored to, to get to serve a lot of church leaders uh, in today's and age. We, we we call what we do. Uh, it's a little complicated because people, you know, try to put this in a box and are you guys architects? Or are you guys... Uh, web designers or whatever. We just say, hey, we're, we're storytellers. Uh, we think of story in three dimensions. Um, there's this simple idea of this uh, movement from uh, strategic storytelling to physical spatial storytelling. Strategic storytelling would be branding, identity, kind of that emotion that you carry in your heart. I don't know what your favorite brand is. Um I know my brother likes Tesla a lot so his heart just gets warm when he hears that name. some of you might be Apple, Disney, you know whatever it is. Uh Target, I don't know. That's you know they're fancy. Uh, yeah. and then uh, there's there's a second aspect of digital storytelling, you know design that you get to interact with. Um, and I mean, obviously, that's a pretty big deal in today's world, digital storytelling. And then the third dimension of what, we're, what we do is uh, physical spatial storytelling. And it's so fun to get to do that in uh, not so much this room, but in this space. Because Eastside uh, Gene Apple was uh, one of uh, my first clients and friends in ministry and invited us in to help kind of retrofit this old uh, Boeing Aerospace campus that used to be part of the space race, fairly uh, institutional. R&D uh, lab, and we were able to come in. And the very first thing uh, we did was we actually went through and picked out and filled up two shipping containers of crap, basically, uh, from conduit to uh, radar stuff, and a lot all that sitting on the other side of that wall right now. Stuff that we were able to kind of translate into this uh, this fun theme of uh, kind of this this place where instead of uh, this missile guidance system navigation uh, that God's work could be the life navigation system. Uh, for your life and playing into that mid-century thing so again just that that's kind of what that three-dimensional storytelling aspect is about we we have a team of about 100 uh people that again are artists architects artisans accountants i mean it takes a motley crew to to, to serve the church in this way uh but to be honest with you we wouldn't be able to keep them fed if it was uh, just church work the, the secret here is that most of our work is actually um, Funded by our corporate work, we're still with Disney and Universal and those folks, uh, and then we're able to subsidize kind of our kingdom ministry work. So, um, you know, some of those clients include uh, major sports league teams. Uh, this uh, my my one Christian billionaire buddy uh, is uh, happens to own this hockey team called the uh, Vancouver Canucks uh, in this uh, arena. When we were doing their project, you two was practicing. Uh, in the hall, which was kind of fun. But we're wrapping this arena that was formerly a, a black hole in the city of Vancouver when it wasn't game night. When it's game night, it's the center of life, it's uh, the sacred space, you know, it's where everybody gathers. But during the vast majority of days and evenings, like a lot of churches, it was a black hole. It was uh, locked up, no energy no activity, and just a dead zone. And they wanted to change that. So we decided to wrap this thing, we call it Play 360. So wrap the thing 360 degree, 365 days a week from the rooftop, uh, you know, where you can take a ski lift and do an artificial ski slope to rock wall climbing and artificial skydiving, you know, and change, again, kind of a single-use facility into a uh, multi-day facility. Uh, This is, the next slide is just a quick, uh, we happen to be working for the largest developer in the world uh, in China that is uh, aggressively pursuing doing not just one Disney World knockoff, but they simultaneously are trying to do seven Disney Worlds across China. Uh, and just one of the, the quick blue sky concepts that no one's ever seen before. So uh, just kind of throwing that up there uh, on one of their many sites. Uh, and then again, being able to work with folks like Universal Studios on the next slide with the actually creating and fabricating things that you've only seen uh, in two dimensions on the screen, being able to translate that uh, in the third dimension. And I know for my kids, uh, stepping on the Hogwarts Express and platform, nine and three quarters is kind of a big deal. Uh, just like for me, stepping into the Millennium Falcon and you know punching it in a hyperdrive was kind of fun. Uh, and again, same thing, being able to work with uh, George Lucas uh, before uh, he sold off to Disney and actually translate some of the Star Wars mythology into uh, the, the concept of a, a Jedi Academy, a three-dimensional experience where you could actually spend a few hours uh, with uh, Pastor Yoda enlightening uh, you on know. the ways of <laughs> the universe and the Force. Uh, and then again, fortunately, still uh, getting to hang with uh, some of the folks uh, uh, and taking it even to the next level with Museum of the Bible, and again, allowing people to step into this amazing story using the... God's gift of technology in today's day and age uh, beyond just uh, the written word uh, to understand the significance of the the narratives, the stories, uh, the impacts of the Old and New Testament around the world. Um, And then, again, another uh, hot-off-the-press Project, uh, you know, working with great, pro- you know, intellectual properties like Marvel uh, and uh, allowing the kids to step into Iron Man suits and, and the jet packs and the whole cluster and, you know, uh, having fun. But again, the, the real heartbeat behind what we're doing is all about the idea of using the, the powerful uh, narrative of story to transform lives, not just for a few moments. Right? It's one thing to create some memories between a daddy and his daughter. That's awesome, and Disney's great at doing that. It's a completely different thing to transform life for eternity. Right, So we talk about destination, to lift the Spirit, now and forever. And that's really the, the core motivation, the reason behind everything that we do. So I wanted to share seven kind of lessons learned, brain-damaging, heard, whatever you want to call it, that these aren't anything that have been published anywhere. It's just kind of when I reflect that I seven things that I learned, uh, if not directly from Walt Disney, at least from those who learned at his feet, uh, and have certainly impacted a lot of uh, the the projects, the companies and the causes that we've been blessed to kind of help tell stories for. Uh, One is blow up the box. I mean, you you hear this kind of think outside the box kind of idea, and the first question we always ask is, you know, how many people does it take to hang a light bulb or (laughs) change a light bulb? It's always like... Does it have to be a light bulb? Does, does there have to be a box? You know, just shifting the paradigm a little bit. So uh, again, at a high level, I don't want this to be so abstract, but literally if someone just stopped me in the hallway, and it's one thing when people ask me, well, how can I make my church look a little more hip and cool and relevant and less dated? You know, we went and copied Starbucks, you yeah, know, whatever. whatever. That's a completely different question than someone uh, saying, look, everywhere I go, I'm getting shut down. to even do church. Nobody wants us to be in the city because nobody wants to have uh, this, this facility, this piece of real estate, this school used for uh, church because that means it can't be used for all these other great things that actually generate property tax, sales tax, bodies, people, you know they actually want it's not that they, they hate church or hate God. they just want that ongoing life in the community. And so one of the paradigms is, well, don't develop a church building develop something completely different. We'll talk about some options uh, on some of that. But again, that's one of the lessons learned from Walt Disney. This this first shot is just him playing with the idea of Mickey Mouse. And, um, you know, he started off as a graffiti artist in World War I, you know, really on the sides of military vehicles, but then he translated to comic strips. Basically, the, the message here is he was always looking for bigger and bigger canvases. Wider palettes to play play with, and he was never satisfied with whatever eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper that he was given. And so, again, going from uh, just comic scripts to animation, then introducing sound, and then introducing large screen formats to surround sound. Uh, You know, Alice comedies was the the introduction of live actors with animation. Uh, and then again, getting into uh, the first sound films with uh, Steamboat Willie, um, Sorcerer's Apprentice, uh, you know, the, the whole retrofitting theaters for this fully immersive surround sound. I mean, this is like ancient analog technology, but to, to be able to basically do surround sound, large screen format technologies. Uh, and then, really, at the peak of his life, getting completely bored with even just two-dimensional storytelling. Even though he had pushed that technology as far as it could go, really his passion uh, at the prime of his life was the idea of what if you could actually step into that dream, step into that story. Kind of a a powerful idea. What if you could do a a city-sized dream where you could actually step into all the, the major television genres Of the day. So again, basically inviting the world, just a few miles down from here, inviting the world to step into his childhood, right? Uh, Into his art directed, curated, cultivated, edited version of his hometown, Marcy, Missouri, on Main Street, USA, representing this magic moment where uh, America was actually great again. Uh, And then, what if you could uh, stand in the middle uh, with your remote control and flip the Flip the script, flip the channel, and enter, step into the Sci-Fi Channel with Tomorrowland. Step into the Disney Channel with Fantasyland. Step into the Discovery Channel with Adventureland. And you know what a powerful concept, right? To get beyond just watching a screen for a couple hours, but actually being able to step in that, hang out as long as you want, um, and uh, you know, end up inventing an entirely new urban typology that we now call the theme park. Uh, this is uh, the next slide is an example of the first project that. Uh, I got to work on it at Disney, which was what if we took that old hundred-acre parking lot that used to be just beautiful citrus groves, but when I got there in 1990, it was just one of the biggest asphalt deserts, you know, just kind of not nice. Uh, but then even worse, it was surrounded by. What the city euphemistically called the Anaheim Resort Commercial Zone. It was really kind of the, the new red light district. You had hookers walking the streets, rent motel rooms by the hour uh, for the hookers or by the month for the homeless families. We had straight bullets going right through the glass of the Disneyland Hotel. Jeffrey Lynn neighborhood is one of the worst gang neighborhoods in North Orange County. And again, bullets barely missing, Ho- Disney hotel guests in the head, you know, bullets lodge into the drywall. Welcome to the happiest place on earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was the challenge. When you have the expectation here and the reality had become here, Disney couldn't just put their head in the sand and say, we're just going to do what we do in our little gated little world here. Like a lot of churches, like frankly the Christian Cathedral thought that
0: they could be yeah. in their
1: you know old school white community when the, the Garden Grove community around them was looking a little tanner than the people in the pews uh, and a little darker hair. And, um, and again, in this concept, what if we tore up a parking lot and put up a national park? What if we celebrate the unique people and place? What if we celebrate a story that could only be told in this soil-specific context? And, and that became California Venture. And we looked at lots of different ideas, but at the end they settled on this idea of celebrating the people, the place, uh, this spirit, this fertile soil that people from around the world that try to do what they need to do to get their butt you know, into America, and then you know they see the Statue of Liberty, but they keep on trucking west until they run out of land, and the dreamers and the doers, the Steve Jobs, the Walt Disney, the Howard Hughes, you name it, they, they keep on trucking until they find this fertile soil that represents this golden dream, this golden state of mind. Right. And again, what if we could let people not only get a sense of that culture, the people, the flavors, the taste, but also the places. What if you could go on almost like a perfect road trip just on your two feet from the deserts to the mountains, from the cities to the seashore? You know, Uh, that'd be kind of fun, kind of magical. And so, um, you know, we were able to translate that. And that's had ripple effects. Uh, But then beyond that, with the churches um, in places as diverse as Detroit, you know, this is, I don't know if you think this looks like a church to you, uh, but again, when you're in Detroit and you don't have a lot of options, in this case, uh, 242 Church found this abandoned uh, sports uh, racquetball club facility inside sat for 20 years. Uh, I got to confess, first time I walked through this space, um, I thought that uh, it looked like a scene from The Walking Dead. Um, and I was a little nervous, you know, I was like, I'm not sure if we're going to pull this one off. Um, and so, again, we had to kind of choose this architecture of impermanence, this language that didn't look opulent or expensive. Uh, and, in fact, certainly wasn't presenting itself as just a church. Uh, this is actually known as 242 Commons. Uh, and, again, the church is just one of the anchor tenants, but they've got an uh, indoor soccer field, a, a center for the arts, uh, so on and so forth, cafe. Uh, next example is, I just want to show you some different examples of out-of- the box uh, kind of thinking, this is actually in Texas. And instead of traditional architectural products like um, Hardy board or Secco, we use Texas license plates for shingles. We collect the Texas license plates for a year, and uh, use that for one of the pieces, uh, and again, stock the, the fish and hole. Uh, it's, it's sand volleyball. I mean, this is just the place that people pull over on the side of the road. they have got to come and hang out here. And it's, uh, it's a community center gathering place seven days a week. Um, this is, again, hot off the press. Um, some stuff we're doing for a little church, uh, Podunk Church down on the street called Saddleback. Uh, with a little local pastor named Rick Warren. And, uh, again, renewal of uh, Saddleback Island Children's Ministry. Talked off about- Thinking outside the box, what if in this unique this can't be done everywhere, but in Southern California where only 3% of the world has this Mediterranean climate, um, what if we did church on the Side of the Hill like Jesus did, you know? And and actually um, if Side of the Hill is good enough for Jesus, it's probably good enough for Rick Warren. So kind of exploring <laughs> what that looks like. And again, another example with Pastor Ray Johnson up at Bayside um, taking an old Asian fish market. Um, in Midtown, basically downtown Sacramento taking their loading dock uh, and by the way this image uh, was done within 12 hours of them needing to present something uh, to to show what would it look like to transform a smelly fish market loading dock into a gathering place uh, for uh, Midtown Sacramento, the capital of the most populous state in 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 the United States lesson two do your homework um, this is not a fun or a sexy part of uh, the business that we do, but literally earlier today, my two-hour meeting that I you know, barely was able to sit through was going through Excel spreadsheets and numbers uh, for uh, a pretty exciting project, a theme park, a resort hotel, Great Wolf Lodge water park, and all that, but literally the foundation of that whole project is based on uh, numbers, believe it or not. And uh, the guy that... Uh, was actually leading the conversation. One of our sub consultants uh, had worked at the hand uh, of his dad, who was uh, partnered up with uh, the guy that we, in our little industry of spatial storytelling, imaginary, themed entertainment work, we, we call him the, the winner. Uh, we name our Lifetime Achievement Award after this guy. Um, it's not named after Walt Disney, it's after the guy that was b- behind Walt Disney. That told Walt, okay, you need to buy this piece of dirt right here. <laughs> and he didn't just do it in Anaheim, he did it in Orlando, he did it for just about every other large-scale uh, attraction. Uh, he really invented the entire industry of creating this foundation of numbers. We call it roller coaster map, but you know, this, this idea that you need to think about throughput of how many people per hour you need to feed, how many people, how many square feet per uh, person per seat per kid need for all these different spaces uh, and so it's it's really important stuff because if you do do it wrong you're pissing people off before they ever get to a place where they can hear words of eternal life for the first time in their life right you're, you're scared they can't even pull up by a parking spot they can't even check their kids in they, they can't uh, get out of a parking lot um, and so again same thing Cited Disneyland, he just located the geographic center where where the center of population uh, in Southern California would be 50 years uh, from 1952 when he was scouting out sites uh, throughout California uh, for that. But again, what he wasn't able to forecast was that. You'd have this first wave of suburbia, you know, American dream, kind of married with children, uh, housing Harriet, but that that wave would then pass. And then you would have this kind of densification because of housing and affordability where you'd have four families renting that single-family detached ranch house. And it would essentially turn into kind of a new urban, you know, (laughs) Uh, slum type scenario, um, and again, Motel Kids. A lot of churches had ministries, uh, and that's what was going on. So, what we had to do uh, when I joined Disney in 1990, which makes me sound really old, <laughs> but anyways, what what we had to do was think beyond just our boundaries. And originally, all Walt was able to afford was uh, a quarter section land, 160 acres, um, and um, basically had the park half of it, the parking lot the other half. Uh, but what we had to do was zoom out and consider over 1,100 acres, and really think about um, not just land that Disney owned, but all the, the public and private parcels that made up this larger commercial recreation zone, and really kind of cast a vision for uh, what if we brought the garden back into the city? What if we gave a taste of heaven, uh, kind of coming and marrying <laughs> with her and creating this, uh, cast this vision for an Anaheim Resort Garden District, which. Um, you know, kind of almost got laughed, that laughed out of the room when we first fixed that. But again, the math worked because what we were able to figure out is if we were just able to raise the hotel bed tax, which I won't bore you with the details, but all we had to do was raise a transit occupancy tax from 11% to 13% and raise length of stay from 2.3 days to 2.7 days. We just had to have enough stuff to increase length of stay for a half day just to get enough people to stay one extra night. That would more than pay or um, about $800 million of public infrastructure, including the world's largest parking garage, including reversible freeway on-ramps, on off-ramps, on including the most ambitious streetscape program. Again, the planting of the gardens in the city. Um, and Disney was then able to double that with private investment, kind of two-to-one ratio. And so, again, there's, there's math that, you know, when you see all this pretty picture, you know, uh, watercolor, oil, you know, artwork, there's, there's another side underneath all that that kind of makes this stuff flow. Um, so when we work with ministries, we you know, have this kind of uh, example of all the gears turning at the same time. And unfortunately, uh, when we work with ministries, we've learned that um, some people uh, accidentally go to seminary and accidentally think they walked out with a degree in real estate development and that they got the memo on how to do church development, which is, uh, you know, I'm going to get a building committee because I don't want to be responsible or blamed for all the problems that happen. So I have this innocent group of guys volunteer their time so they can be blamed if something goes south. And that building committee is going to hire, they're going to be a perfect client, basically. They're going to hire a perfect architect that has been through the process and he knows all the questions and he's going to drop a perfect set of plans and then I'm going to put that out to bid, and some general contractor is going to lose a blind poker game and, <laughs> and have the lowest bid, and that somehow, by faith, the end project is going to resemble what that bid came in at, and the, you know, one of the problems in this scenario is that the time pass relay race, that's just not how the real world works. Um, number one, people aren't perfect. Uh, those architectural drawings aren't perfect. Errors and emissions, the contractor already identified much of those, so he had a bunch of change orders that he was planning on scraping <laughs> with uh, and making himself whole, uh, but beyond that, it creates this adversarial relationship where everybody's pointing at each other, wanting to sue each other at the end of the process, so, um, but uh, again, that's not the way that actual commercial successful real estate development works, it's not the way that Disney works, it's not the way that any successful real estate developer works, they understand the value of having all these parts moving all together on the front end and having all the teams forming, storming, norming, performing, collaborating on the front end uh, that the contractor is looking at designs well before uh, an engineer ever looks at them. You know, when you're just at the level of kind of figuring out what this project should be and looking at square footages. And again, we've got this detailed uh, flow chart, boring <laughs> process that really goes into all the, the strategy, all the design inputs. All the the monetary inputs that uh, kind of pull all this stuff together. Uh, And again, I want to show all this to you because as I show you pretty pictures later, just to understand that there's a, there's a lot of left and right brain people that have to collaborate. Uh, and occasionally we find people with a left brain and a right brain. They have both lobes fully intact. Uh, and that's awesome. Because it takes all those kinds of people to pull this stuff off. It's not just the guy that draws well, if that makes sense. Um, and again, this is, this is some of the basic inputs. And then we're able to model that out and actually model the church growth the, the growth of uh, kids and the kids' ministries. We're able to look at supply and demand for uh, how many seats, how many square feet of kids' space, and when you're gonna run out of that space. Uh, and then most importantly on the bottom, we're able to monitor cash flow available for ministry and figure out, okay, uh, you can draw as many plans as you want. You can build as many people as you want, but if you have to lay everyone off when, you're, when you get that first construction draw, check, you know uh, invoice, that's not going to help anybody. So you have to be able to kind of play with the levers, play with all the inputs until you figure out that ideal uh, budget scope and schedule. And again, you're not just thinking phase one. The next three to five years, you have to think uh, the next phase and then the next phase and, and so on and so forth. And, and poor Mark, he's still got hair on his head. This is, what, this is your world, man. How do you how do, you do uh, rocket Ship launches while you're, you know, trying to salvage Apollo 13 at the same time. Uh, so, lesson three: being true to your story. Um, and again, this is uh, to me so fundamental. And this is one of the reasons that I, I you know, one lesson I learned. One reason that business successful businesses success. They know their DNA. They know their core. Uh, they don't just like other uh, companies out there. I'm not going to name names, but. There's people, Asian developers, developers in Dubai that feel like, oh, I can just write checks and buy different random Hollywood intellectual properties. And I can cobble this part together that might have Dr. Seuss in one corner, might have Harry Potter in another corner. Oh, I gave it away. And I have uh, Transformers in another corner. It's just random stuff that has no emotional connective glue with one another. Oh, we got some for kids here. We got some for teenagers here. And really, it's just, it's kind of always going to be, you know, following uh, something that actually has a heart and soul in the story. And it's just a little different. Again, starting with the roots of Main Street USA, when Walt was doing that, he was, again, personally inviting people to step into his frame of mind as a child, sitting under the dreaming tree, under the soak tree on the family farm, uh, and again, feeling that feeling that he had on July 4th, 1905, you know, Main Street, Marceline, Missouri, and he wanted the world to experience that, that unique special sauce that he was able to experience, that, that unique sense of place uh, that really probably never existed for anyone else, anywhere else in the world. But he was able to kind of recreate that moment. I've actually spent the night on Marceline. Uh, and again, when he was a kid, turn century, it was muddy streets, power lines overhead, uh, horse manure down the middle of the street. I was able to spend the night above the, the old Main Street cinema. Um, they had a bed and breakfast, and the closet door opened, and that was the screening room for the, the one screen cinema. It was kind of a cool experience. Um, but there's also a story of him as a child grow up kind of. Uh, in poverty, he had to do uh, jobs, you know, like getting up at 3 in the morning, uh, trekking through the Missouri winters. They do newspaper routes almost freezing to death. Um, but there's a story of him and his sister standing at the pearly gates of one of the very first, they're called trolley parks, one of the first electrically lit uh, amusement parks called uh, Electric City. Uh, and them just looking at what appeared to these poor Midwestern rural farm kids, it must have been a picture of heaven, basically realized, right? They're just like looking at this, and there's no record that they ever actually crossed that perimeter and actually got to experience it or see it, but just this vision burned itself into his memory, and similarly uh, to me, uh, I remember uh, my dad moving back, and one of my very first memories, uh, other than bombs going off in Saigon, Vietnam, where I was born, or even in Germany, um, was looking down the lights of nature USA, and again that image of a world as it could and should be just kind of burned itself into my head, and and, and that's what ignited this passion for creating a place that gives people a taste of heaven, a, a taste of God's will on earth as it is in heaven, a place uh, that has the crap edited out, <laughs> that has the poor decisions, the poor judgment. the mistakes edited out and is a taste of the way things could and should be Um, and again what we've learned is the foundation the fundamental uh, core of these places is story and story all great storytelling begins with passion people in place and we've created a process that we call story circles that I can tell you whenever we kick off a project around the world um, it starts with this very simple um, some might call it a Venn diagram. It's really just a hidden Mickey upside down, but it's really simple. It's it's basically every great story, every great movie, every great book has these three fundamental anchors, right? These these foundations, like a tripod, right? Character, plot, and setting. And it's really not that complicated. It's the who, the where, and the why, right? But I can tell you, every project we've ever started, it doesn't matter if it's an entire city, a theme park a church, a room renovation, it starts with this conversation of of really digging into the core character your internal tribal DNA. What makes you you from a personality, from an organization, from an emotional perspective, what makes the people you're trying to reach, you know, who they are, the the psychographics, the demographics, the, the market research, the city, the setting, where are you? And why should this look and taste and feel totally different from any other place anywhere else in the world?
0: Because every place has a unique
1: uh, sense of place. And again, this is a process that we go through when we're doing uh, what we talked about strategic storytelling, that identity, that brandy piece. We'll spend an entire day with teams fleshing out this logic board of understanding how your character creates value, how your relationships transfer value, how your, identi- your identity embodies that value. And how your voice expresses that value. And I won't go into the weeds of it, but it can be an incredibly unifying team building experience. Uh, and it's just so different from someone just handing you their purpose statement or their mission statement. Because really the results of this isn't even necessarily for public consumption. But what we're able to take out of these words is we're able to develop mood boards uh, and we call them storyboards that really start fleshing out a, a big idea. And just one example of that an early example of that is a church, again, a few miles down from here. The next town east of uh, Anaheim is a town called Corona. And the word Corona is actually, uh, I found out, not Spanish for beer, like I always assume. And and the the definition we were using wasn't even the Spanish interpretation of crown. It was a concentric circle of light surrounding a luminous body. And again, this was in a a suburban town, kind of a bedroom community of, of Orange County, uh, my dad actually worked not at this uh, 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 Boeing site, but he actually worked at Hughes, just up the road, another aerospace site. And it's again, we, we bought in the bedroom community further east. Uh, but again, what we found about this church is, wanting to be this church of the, the next millennium, wanting to be the city on a hill, that this circle of light theme story was something that really resonated and uh, had some legs because the idea of a community gathered around the cross, around uh, this, this light uh, source and the circle of friends and communities that could radiate out was kind of powerful. And again, the city just wanted Neo Taco Bell architecture. They just wanted the same stucco boxes, painted beige, we call it either go away gray, <laughs> look, away, you know, look away green, beige, you know, just nobody wanted this, and every other Sam's Club, uh, Costco, big box all looks the same with the red tall roast. Well, again, we want to do something a little more contemporary and sharing with the city that, again, we're going to take advantage of this Mediterranean climate that only 3% of the world shares, that uh, it was good enough for Jesus. <laughs> we're going to do this Mediterranean city on a hill, and that allowed us to do some really inexpensive architecture. And the next slide's a, a shot of kind of that open piazza. Uh, and again, that 3,200-seat auditorium, uh, which was done in, uh, well, geez, almost 20 years ago. Um, the most cost-effective square foot per seat structure that was done in that decade. Because the actual structure is literally a pre-engineered metal. It's used for barns, airplane hangars. I mean, the sound stages, 180 feet clear span, really cost-effective structure. But the important thing is we focus on the spaces between the buildings, not just the buildings themselves. So we created this community gathering place that uh, has the biggest Christmas tree in town, it's got the popcat fountains, it's got the you know uh, the stuff that uh, you want in a, in a gathering place. Um, again, when we uh, come up with these big ideas, it's really a discovery process for us. It's, it's one of my favorite phases of a project, we call it the blue sky phase. It's a phase that's kind of foreign to a lot of traditional architects or facility designers because it's a phase before you know what you're going to build. Right. Uh, most architects are trained to be kind of waitresses. Okay, like, hey, what would you like me to draw for you, sir? You know, I'll eat three fries. You know, <laughs> two shakes, whatever. Um, but when you're figuring out who you are and why you are and where you are, that's a different conversation. So, in this blue sky process, that is at the start of uh, of every project, we get to kind of really distill, discern the story. But then that turns into a big idea. I love sharing the story of the the very first blue sky process. It was. Uh, one where Walt Disney found out on a Friday that uh, he had a, a Monday meeting uh, that he had to kind of show some bankers these people that could write this check for this dream that he had been incubating for 20 years, and I'll show you that drawing uh, in a few minutes. Lesson four is surround yourself with better storytellers. Okay, and again, on that Friday afternoon when Walt Disney found out that uh, he had until Monday morning to you know share something, he kind of got caught. Uh, unprepared, right? Because he had all these ideas that he had collected for 20 years of all these places around the world, from Tivoli Gardens in Copenhagen to Knott's Berry Farm down the street, you name it, but he wasn't able to convey that beyond, and again, he wasn't that great of a verbal storyteller. He he wasn't non-great for a you know, pitch man. So what he had to do was find a better storyteller in one aspect than him, someone that could outdraw him which wasn't hard to do because he wasn't that great an artist to begin with. He never did the original Mickey Mouse. This is what we call the Magna Carta of Imaginarium. Uh, this is the, the first sketch that was developed over that, that weekend burn uh, where um, Walt uh, just basically did a Vulcan mind-meld brain dump you know, onto a, a, a friend named Herbie Ryman that didn't even work for him anymore. He was a 20th Century Bucks uh, art director um, I'm a huge fan of his work, but again, this was literally uh, just that brain dump, and ironically, these same plans that were developed uh, in 1953 have become the template for every major, we call them castle parks, that paradigm of a, of a Magic Kingdom uh, Disneyland-style park, including Shanghai Disneyland, which just reached the record of the, the top first-year attendance of any park ever in history, uh, and the, the idea that this thing that was, came up with one 72-hour weekend burn in 1953 could translate into the 21st century to mainland China. It's just so bizarre and fascinating to me. Uh, but again, the, the quality and the intentionality of some of that original thinking is uh, you know, really powerful stuff. Translating beyond that, again, I want to share we had a similar process when we were trying to figure out what to do with that parking lot. Um, in front of Disneyland, and we had to figure out, okay, we've got all this intense competition. you got uh, the biggest movie studio in the world, Universe Studios, that's drawing people away. You've got Shamu and SeaWorld and the Pacific Ocean drawing people towards San Diego, towards the beach. You've got all these people who want to see, you know, the, the natural beauty of California, from the Golden State to Yosemite National Park. How do we compete with that? How do we get people to to do more than just a one-day thing, and and what we ended up figuring out was this big idea of California that was broad enough to encompass all of those themes. We could do a, a paradise pier that invited people to experience the Pacific Ocean and Um, You know, aerial under the sea or whatever, we could do a a Golden State National Park, a Redwood Creek uh, Challenge Trail, a Grizzly Peak uh, Recreation Area, we could do Hollywood Boulevard Hollywood Land and so on and so forth so that became the genesis of originally letting people step into this 3D postcard that was California, the other key thing by the way, with this I had to mention is when we did the math we didn't have enough to spend (laughs) basically, we literally had people walking off the job because they're like, look, the budget you're giving us is literally about a third of the budget that you need. Uh, in 2001, two parks opened up. Our humble little park that we nicknamed Six Flags Over Disneyland, and a park in Tokyo called Tokyo Disney Seas that cost four times as much. Wow. That was done with a, a, a normal, a real Disney budget. We had a county fair budget, and we had to make do with it. So we used techniques like environmental graphics, like spatial storytelling three-dimensional billboards where we just basically had temporary lands like the old entrance plaza was just a couple of metal buildings with exit retail and stuff so, but they were clad with built three-dimensional layered billboards where it was became this environmental art piece that you were stepping into a postcard going deeper and deeper so again budget constraints doesn't have to limit creativity it actually makes you a lot more creative and we've somehow learned to do that with sacred space and industry projects where Disney might spend $1,000 a square foot to do theming uh, on, a, on a completely occupiable facility, we might get 10 bucks a square foot, which is actually, again, when you step on the other side of this wall and you see that check-in lobby, uh, that's the reason that we're begging, borrowing, and stealing, whatever props we can pull off the walls and applying that, because uh, you can still have excellence, you know, even when you're in the shadow of Disneyland, it doesn't have to be opulent or excessive or expensive. Uh, first draft of the the uh, site plan, I don't know if you recognize this, but this first shot of the old Disneyland parking lot. Um, and again, much of this has already been built out now. Uh, the, old, the old parking lot that was left has already been built out for Cars Land uh, and so on and so forth. And uh, I, The next one is just a, the old fun map uh, that they used to sell on opening day uh, for California Adventure when it opened. Um, the, the neat thing about this is spilling beyond uh, just amusement parks. We cast a vision uh, that spilled outside the border. So we cast that vision, the idea of this fertile seed that can spread, you know, uh, we've cast a vision for this garden district, this garden walk that now is spread throughout the 1100, the two square miles surrounding just the original Disney property. So you have new hotels, you have garden walk, uh, you have uh, restored uh, affordable housing, those, those uh Gang communities. I was telling me about bringing centralized management, pouring money into the schools, uh, really cleaning stuff up. Uh, and one of the, the personal points, probably for me, is the the opportunity to let people spend the night uh, in the in in the park. Uh, one of my earliest memories again, my dad told me about kids that would jump over the pirate the Pirates of the Caribbean little boat ride and sneak in, try to spend the night in a little Caribbean village. And I remember thinking shouldn't have told me that,
0: that's
1: an awesome idea. So I was fixated on the idea of what if you can let people go beyond just an eight-hour day theme park, hot and sweaty, in the crowd's experience, what if you could let them spend the night in the magic? And again, that's what uh, we were able to design with the Grand Californian. Literally just designed another one of these yesterday with this other park we're developing. Uh, But what if you can, again, spend the night, ride your You know, literally with my kids, I was able to ride that Grizzly River Rapids on a rainy night come in, jump in the hot tub with our clothes on, go up the elevator, change, go back out for more. It's just a different experience than dealing with shuttle buses and hotels and parking and cars. Um, And I wanted to give you a sneak preview of some other uh, stuff that we're doing. Again, uh, blue sky stuff, hot off the press that hopefully is getting announced uh, next month. But again, taking uh, stories that have stood the test of time Uh, and this is a, a project that I can't tell you when and where is going to happen, but I'm convinced that it'll happen. But uh, the, the idea of allowing people to step through stories um, and song from the four corners of the world uh, is a lot of fun and really powerful. And again, in an homage to the original Herb Ryman "Blue Sky," we did a, a similar kind of aerial uh, uh, shot that kind of just draws you into the story and kind of lets you see what it could be like as you step through kind of this uh, magical little place that Daddy can make some memories with his daughters. kind of like the original Disneyland Park. And then the next slide is kind of that marketing uh, money shot. And what if instead of a a European princess castle, what if we took uh, kind of the roots of uh, African storytelling and did this tribal storyteller's lodge uh, as kind of a central heart uh, of the campus? We actually used the same dimensions of the original Disneyland castle to model the the primary height of the the central castle there, but the idea of uh, stories from around the of the world was kind of fun. Again, translating that back into the church world, um, the the, the notion of spatial scripting, of figuring out all the stories we need to tell, all the different spaces from kids' ministries to adult ministries and that flow. Now it's starting to look like something that someone might call architecture. But again, for us, it's all about scripting that guest experience, scripting that emotional journey from that that mom that is scared and anxious and nervous. Uh, She's got a bunch of kids in hand from toddlers to tweens, but you know, maybe no husband, and she just doesn't know how to dress, doesn't know how to act. How do you guide her emotional journey as she's coming in and um, just finding it, trying to fill a need for like some life-giving words, some words of eternal life, some, some life-giving words, some, some, um, some words of eternal life. And, and again, uh, just run through a couple examples. This is a, an old-school uh, Methodist church in an old-school location, um, and, you know, just using uh, God's gift of technology, again, environmental projection to turn the space around. Um, And as we're looking through, uh, you know, everything from uh, wayfinding, helping that mom not feel like an idiot when she's trying to navigate what to do with these kids and where to go and what to do, uh, having every font, every graphic, every material all tell a consistent, cohesive story, um, and having... Every one of the thousands of design decisions add up to the same internal logic. Uh, and again, one plus one equals three really quickly when every design decision, from fonts to graphics to colors to material, to the materials to flooring, finishes, the architecture, landscape palette, all marches towards that same drummer. It can be a really powerful thing. Uh, keep keep going, uh, going through the history and and remembering those that have got us here, that, that legacy honoring moment, uh, moving forward into the future. Um, and then, again, looking at the site and looking beyond just uh, a mega church structure but figuring out how we can spill out and start to create uh, kind of a, a district and a bridge to the surrounding area. And how do we create, instead of this, um, this just one-hour-a-week experience, how do we play, create a gathering place that feels more like Uh, a postmodern version of Main Street USA. So that's that next slide, of just this wonderful gathering uh, place that uh, is a place that anyone, whether they're, I gotta find Jesus, you know, whether they've had that moment or not, anyone is like down with, yeah, let's have a cup of coffee and let's have a a, a life-giving conversation in a a place that feels uh, like a taste of heaven. Um, And so again, the the block is uh, one example of that. Hey Mark, you mind sharing uh, the story process for Father House? Because I thought
0: that, that's just like a great metaphor. I apologize for not having the, the image the story up process. Yeah, but just yeah. Three a notice here. Uh, yeah, we brought their team in, and uh, we did never even thought of the story process. But the whole idea of uh, designing 22 acres with multiple buildings and actually having a story uh, guide the design of it uh, was was kind of just blew our minds. But the whole process was. Was so huge and, and uh, almost emotional for us, really. And so to, then to uh, work eight years out now to see all of that roll out, we still got a couple of buildings to finish off, but um, the whole idea of the uh, parting of the Red Sea and uh, our whole theme was following the presence of God, and that's kind of been a passion and mission for us, for our church. Um, and then having those elements in. So uh, we actually created the, the parting of the Red Sea was, was like a wave wall feature that uh, families would walk through, drop their kids off, and then the uh, pillar of fire and the cloud by uh, day. And that was all built into the, the structure of the building. So, um, and we're off of the freeway, 505, so everybody driving down the freeway, they can see at night, for instance, that glowing pillar. And uh, there's Thomas and others that can't figure out what, why do we have that? The whole, that's another story. <laughs> um, but uh, the whole idea of the story, and then uh, the environmental graphics, graphics that went into this space, especially our kids' space, um, because we've got the landing and the passage. You know, so the passage is the party, which is kind of our uh, preschool nursery kind of side, and the landing where the elementary kids that are going in. And the theming behind all of that, and uh, Plain of studios did a great job with all of the graphics on it. We actually finished uh, our third building. Um, and the graphics were so much better in that because we just had kind of a little more money that the, uh, the uh, other, our first kid's building was just kind of looked like a stepchild building, so we had to come back and upgrade until it throw it all down. But even our main auditorium building is the same thing. It's just all the design and graphics all flowed together and told a story. And so, uh, it's, it's, it's a challenge to keep our team up to the story. This is another challenge for about the next
1: generation coming up, it's like, what's that story again? Yeah, there we go. Thanks for checking yes. the mail. <laughs> so lesson five, form follows fiction, space tells stories. And again, this is a paradigm that we've been challenged with, fighting for years. The idea of, okay, well, I don't know if we can afford lobby space. That's not functional space. Somehow that, unless it's a space for a car to get parked, uh, a seat for a butt to sit on, it's not somehow functional. And my question is, well, what do you define as a function of ecclesia, of the church? You know, if it's not... Christ-centered community, if you're not creating space for discipleship for life-giving relationships to happen, it's not just about getting them in, getting them out like that. You know, that old McDonald's kind of paradigm of hard, nasty, ugly, orange walls and hard plastic seats, and, you know, like an industrial factory minimizing transaction cycle times and get them in, get them out so we can flip it and turn it. That whole facility functional model is... Um, it's just people are moving beyond that, especially in today's day and age. If you can buy your stuff on Amazon and it's way more convenient, if you can buy it at Walmart, it's way cheaper, it's a lot tougher to be a retailer today. Uh, and you can't just get her done for good, fast, and cheap. And again that, that old school thinking of I can just build the cheapest thing and brag me out the cheapest cost per square foot and I got her dug with you know, whoever I found in my back, you know, whatever. You know, and I'm not saying that we have to spend more money or be more optimal, but but I understand that for the same amount of money that you get multi useless gymnasiums in America, you can actually get something uh, that is a, a compelling uh, space that people are drawn to that, that do tell stories. And uh, it's just a powerful thing to understand that beyond just form follows function, form can follow fiction. So as we fast forward, the key thing for Walt Disney was understanding that. Um, we didn't have to tell stories through the written there at the beginning. He wasn't much of a writer or a speaker, so he had to use visual storyboard. He introduced this process of storyboarding to the film world, and then he introduced it to the architecture urban design world. And that's the the same process we use when we're thinking about scripting the guest experience. We're actually kind of storyboarding out that emotional journey um, so that kids are getting more excited, dragging their parents to church rather than the other way around. Um, Fast forward, um, again, same thing in terms of a lot of people think of Disney. I mean, I literally have a church you know that's nervous about hiring because of the Disney history there. I'm still trying to shake it out after 20 years. They're like, well, are you gonna do a Mickey Mouse shaped church or this has got to be expensive or opulent? And then all I have to do is look at Google Maps, look at these parks. these are the top human nice crap, mouse traps on the planet. And I mean literally the top human magnets, the top tourist destination on the planet is Disney World. Um, the Disneyland Paris outdraws the Eiffel Tower and the Louvre. It's crazy, that <laughs> the people, and again, it's not cheap, right? 100 bucks just across, past the gate, past the threshold. But when you look at them, especially on satellite view, you realize the vast majority of the indoor conditioned facilities for footage are pre-injury sound stages. They're based on Hollywood backlogs. We have these thin facades, but it's the vast majority of the sport footage, where the magic happens, where that Pirates of the Caribbean, haunted magic, you know, haunted mansion magic happens is in these really simple structures, just clear span, dumb space. And the, the trick is that doesn't have to be something the guests experiences. They can experience one corner. They can experience a hidden facade and go under a tunnel. You can hide the, the bulk of these buildings, um, but you don't have to dress up all four sides with this opulent award-winning. Architecture and so that, that idea of decorated uh, sheds and sound stages is really powerful because it's very flexible. Because you think about flexible storytelling spaces like fire circles, like Hollywood soundstages, they're
0: not they're not expensive
1: rocking it, but they have to be flexible. Plus, they're all flexible. For we will not break. Right? Let's <laughs> keep going. Uh, again, this I love this. This is one of the first kids ministry areas we did years ago. This is in the Rust Belt of America, actually the armpit of the Rust Belt of America. Uh, and uh, again, these guys had no money. They used their lobbies, a community food hall, food bank, all the factory jobs shut down. Uh, this, this kid's ministry, it's called Kid Works, it's in a freezer metal building. The, there's not any money for carpet. Uh, they couldn't afford these carpet tiles if they wanted to. It's just raw, it's a concrete foundation of the building. We did caution tape. Uh, we did, you know, some vinyl wraps to kind of convey this idea of a kid's toontown, kind of kid's works factory where God's shipping these little lights around the world, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, this and then the, the adult space also kind of has that. Reuse, but really the, the barrels that, that are kind of supposed to be tuned batteries, those are construction barrels, yeah, you and then we just wrap on site. So you, you can be creative uh, and just, you know, again, just uh, walk it, but it tells the story that, that there was this place that men had built to be a source of power and light in the community. Uh, but now God spilled it. Now he's the source of power and mine. So this power of light history is kind of a powerful metaphor for this town in this context in the Rust Belt, uh, in the recession. And again, their their coffee bar doesn't have to outdo Starbucks. It still looks great after 20 years just using the raw materials that were uh, either found on site or locally, just raw industrial materials without any elaborate finishes and so on. Um, I want to show you a couple of quick befores and after, and uh, These are just quick sketches that we do when we're either on site or within the first week of a, a project. This is just your standard suburban church. It just happens to be in the middle of Washington State, kind of a, a rural town. But this was their grand entrance for their children's ministry wing, which was in the basement. Uh, and you really just flew by this as you're driving by the entrance. Uh, and so a quick uh, design study, kind of overlay, is what if we, without even building one square foot of new architecture, New space. What if we get some rope? <laughs> we get some you know, boards. And we have a, a big idea of helping the kids start their journey uh, on this disciples pathway of life. And, and really, we, we mapped out this discipleship path, uh, and it's reinforced throughout the, the environment. But again, just to give this kids this kind of trailhead starting point that the path begins here. And this Ties in. This isn't just some random kids, thing. This ties into their whole ministry's discipleship paradigm, process, and approach. But it's introduced for very little dollars at the front end. As someone's just uh, looking for, where, "What do I do with my kids? Where do I go?" This is one of six entrances that no uh, no one would otherwise have any idea uh, was for kids. Uh, a couple other uh, before and afters. This is actually when you go down into the basement. Uh, so this was the before. And again, afterwards, uh, this is the proposal. And again, this is all implemented, good to go. Um, Pastor Mike Wilson, up in Wenatchee, Washington. But again, release, reach, risk, their mission statement on the stairs. Who would have thought? The stairs could be a great campus to, to reinforce the mission statement. Total portable, flexible rolling stations for the check in. Uh, but again, it's returning adventures. It's not like, you know, okay, Sunday school. Biogram, a I <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, let's continue the journey together. Um, lesson six. We're wired for community. I'm passionate about this. Well, Disney was passionate about this. I believe God's passionate about this. We are created uh, by our Heavenly Father to model the Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in eternal community, eternal love relationship. God's passionate about community. The very first space that we know of, that we're, we're about, that he designed Garden of Eden. It's a pretty good place for a community to happen. A great place for horizontal connection and for vertical connection. He never gave up on places. A lot of people think, ah, oh, we're too spiritual, bricks and mortar, and we'll just kind of borrow, you know, someone's space, a school or whatever, we'll just kind of do that forever. It's kind of like you're going to raise your family in somebody else's couch. You know, at some point you need to kind of be incarnational and create space. Well... Garden of Eden translates into a tabernacle where he was, God was very intentional about lot of the details. God was in the details, right? And then the city of heaven uh, is a very intentional place, again, for horizontal, vertical connection. And so we're serious about that. We, we're, I had a secular atheist developer tell me his big aha of life was that somehow we're a herd species, species, but every once in a while, some of us stray from the flock, and we, we have to slowly find our way back to the herd. To the herd, and, and what he was thinking was he, he had been developing these suburban tract homes for so long where people would drive crazy commutes to buy as much space between them and the next human family as they could afford um, because they wanted their own private auto. They wanted to be in their steel cocoon, in their car, drive till they qualify for as big of a house and as big of a lot so they don't have to deal with anyone else. And what he was finding was, especially with the millennials, but especially with a lot of uh, aging boomers now, so people actually want to be in community together. That looks different. That looks different from that church that wants to be the mega church campus that's just going to buy a piece of farmland and surround themselves uh, by emotional parking and really just be a Christian country club one day a week. Or, or hey, we'll do our Christian school our Christian gym and our Christian. Hey, you can do your whole life here and never have to leave. Well, maybe we'll do a retirement community here so you really could die. Uh, but, but no, it looks different. Again, and when we talk about community, that was something that was near and dear to Walt. By the time he died, he was completely bored with entertainment. didn't want to just be the guy that had been Mickey Mouse. He was passionate about, in the mid 60s with the race riots, he was passionate about taking all the lifelong lessons of story, of space, and community and figuring out a way to create a new uh, way of doing life together. And he called it, it was really the city on a hill, vision that he called Epcot, this experimental prototype community of tomorrow, which unfortunately kind of got bastardized and dumbed down and just turned into a, kind of a glorified uh, World's Fair you know, permanent theme park. But the original thought, the whole reason he bought the 45 square miles in Florida, the reason he filmed this little uh, sales pitch that was never even shown until after he died, but even though he was dying of cancer, he was able to convince the, the state of Florida and the United States government to allow him, or at least his company, to have the, the approvals, the entitlements to build not just one, but two separate, incorporated communities, right there on building codes, zoning codes. They had a for nuclear power plant, uh, airport of the future. Uh, they could tax themselves. It was pretty insane, but really it was all for this promise of figuring out how to move above the race riots and all the inner city turmoil uh, and all the, the kind of... Um, racial segregation that was going on in America uh, at the time and again what we're seeing with our church work is another revolution in sacred space and that was the theme of my first book it was called Design and Invention: Revolution in Sacred Space Um, and then the second book is called Sacred Storytellers with that same theme uh, which um, I'll I'll show you a way to link to that Um, but as we keep moving forward again I talked about that transformation this was the Main Street Harbor Boulevard entrance of Disneyland when Walt died He called it a third-rate Las Vegas trip. He gave up on the Orange County property. That's one of the reasons he bought the 45 square miles in Florida. He was so disappointed at uh, the city being asleep at the wheel and allowing all this ugliness to happen outside of his uh, his magical little park. Uh, And again, that's the before, and then we were able to transform that. uh, With this was the first uh, image, wire color rendering of what would it look like if that was this. Uh, garden of Eden-like uh, resort garden district uh, that's now known as the Disneyland Resort. Uh, again, sometimes you got to think a little little bigger than just "Hey, we got to clean up our stuff." Um, uh, this is uh, again a, a master plan for that 100 acres surrounding Saddleback, and uh, again, the concept here is someday. What if this was a downtown for the suburban city that they're in that currently has no downtown? It's just a collection of real estate products from big box retail to auto centers auto malls, and instead of a massive, just a uh, massive parking lot or a massive parking garage, it would be kind of a Berlin Wall separating the church from the surrounding community. What if on both sides of a main street you had the parking, that would feed people in the central path, which, same model we followed at Downtown Disney, same model at Universal City, uh, with City Walk, where that main street collector kind of brings everyone together. Um, and the church just happens to be sitting at that whole position where the Castle, the Disney Castle is at the end of Main Street. So people feed into the central town square uh, plaza at the foot of the cross, kind of like people have for thousands of years around the world. People gather at the foot of sacred space, whether it's Christian. Muslim, uh, Hebrew, it doesn't matter what faith, uh, as Buddhist temple, people gather and convene uh, in front of, uh, not just inside, but in front of sacred space, whether they're part of that tradition or not. Uh, fast forward, um, and uh, let's, let's keep on going. Um, final lesson, got to close out, the power of story. Um, and one of the, the things I wanted to share with you here is on the next slide is this, this um, idea of transformation. A friend of mine bailed out of priest seminary to become an imagineer. And one of his projects of uh, many is, is Cars Man. um, and he had this this epiphany when he was developing Carsland. There's a sign link enter in that has the population scratched out and one added, and that, that addition was the, the introduction of one catalyst. In this story, it's lightning McQueen, but for him it was a great parallel of of Jesus H Christ entering in the Messiah entering into the, the story of this world and how that one catalyst can change everything. And in this moment, every night at sunset, the lights go the the neon lights start coming on one by one. They start playing the same music in that same scene when Lightning McQueen finished paving the street finally. And everyone rediscovers that pride in place. And not just the asphalt's renewed, but the the lights come on one by one. it's kind of like heaven and earth have kind of been married up again. It's a renewed place in time. And again, just a subtle seed. But it's just an example of all kinds of stories anywhere that that seed of eternity is in our hearts. And again, it's a powerful thing when we look at church space and uh, the economy that we're in, where society values transformation. They, They value purpose. You can buy a Tom's shoes, uh, and you know if you're now buying a kid that doesn't have shoes, shoes. If you're buying a pair of Tom's sunglasses, you're giving a kid vision. Um, you're being like Jesus. You know, you're giving them glasses or corrective lenses or surgery. Uh, it's a powerful thing. Cup of coffee down down the road again. Corona. We've not just got a church coffee house that serves donuts and coffee. It's Restoration Roasters. It's staffed by. Um, uh, folks that are uh, living at the homeless shelter doing jobs training or volunteers. So every cup is a cup of camp, uh, compassion, a cup of transformation, a cup of hope. Uh, and every material is reclaimed with, reclaimed, it represents those reclaimed lives. Powerful. And anyone stepping foot in that cafe is getting a taste of what the hands and feet of Jesus are doing seven days a week. Um, and just a great example. It doesn't have to be often, it doesn't have to be expensive. Uh, and let's keep keep on going. Uh what people are hungry for is they want to step into epic stories. They're not interested in sitting like headless like consuming, getting talked at in the in the back of a big box black box. We want to shift from informational to experiential, participatory, immersive, connected experiences, um, and everybody yeah. wants a piece of that. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the more that people are addicted, connected uh, to these screens that are mediate between us and our loved ones. Uh, the more that places like Disney and Universe are doubling down. They can't spend money as fast as they can design and build it uh, because they, they know that as people are increasingly addicted to the, to the virtual, digital, fake connection, that their need, their hunger for actual real place-based connection is, is just even uh, more multiplied. And again, that's what the church has the potential to be Um and so, finally, as we you know close out, um, there's some that want to do sacred spaces and temples. I feel like my calling is a little more humble. God handed me a shovel and just said dig, boy. And what I mean by that is someone else might be called to try to be the Solomon of today. We're just trying to dig the today's versions of that Jacob's well experience that 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 place. Uh, next slide, where where you're looking at a, uh, the the forecourt at the foot of the cross in every town. It was always at traditional sacred space, plaza, and as you keep going, there's uh, the idea of a well is such a powerful thing, right, because you give living water, uh, you're changing changing lives, and when you talk about a postmodern world where that that Samaritan woman of today, that's not looking for a church, she's just trying to get a drink, right, <laughs> but if she can get a taste of living water, uh, hear words of eternal life, get a taste, you know, meet a pinky on the body of Christ, Someone that would look at her not like what the rest of culture, and society, and even herself looks at her. But if someone could look at her like the precious daughter of God made in his image, you know, uh, as a precious child, that, that's, that's something, right? And to create space to tear down, break down all those walls and separate like the lost and the found, the church, the unchurched, Christ-centered community from the community at large, that looks different than the traditional church building process. It's almost like a church unbuilding, and it's this process of creating uh, postmodern wells. So fast forward here. Uh, I know I'm running late. Um, Down the street, my first postmodern well, uh, i got to admit wasn't the most inventive place. It's the outdoor bar. At Downtown Disney. <laughs> but again, I've, I've had a chance of being, hopefully, hurting <laughs> myself for a class. Few decades working with about a thousand churches and church planners, including a lot of our art friends, uh, to again create these redemptive gathering places and postmodern Jacobs Wells and the Restoration Roasters is uh, one example of that. Uh, and a before and after of a church, another church kind of down the street. This is the before the A-frame, the after where we capture the history of this old beachside chapel um, and uh, kind of put a porch on it and. Make people know that they're just uh, open and that power of design intervention can be a powerful thing. So, um, know that I'm running late. What I want to do is uh, if you go, I think, to the last slide, this uh, some stuff with Bayside. Uh, but what I want to do is give you an opportunity to um, get a copy of some of these case stories and read for free uh, some of these amazing transformation stories around the world. Again, I've got slides here from Cambodia from the killing fields. To the harvest fields from uh, a village of hope uh, a city of refuge for victims of child sex trafficking uh, in southeast asian philippines and doing a my refuge house um, but got a lot of these stories in a book called sacred storytellers uh, happy to get you that uh, free download uh, just want to say hi hey pete can you and jan Pete's my uh, co-founder our ceo uh, and uh, see either one of us, get us your card and we'll make sure to send you a link for the book. Thanks so much. And uh, I think we're running late. Any, any questions, happy to hang out as long as it takes to fill any questions. So thanks for hanging
0: with We hope you enjoyed this session from the Art Conference. Our heart is that you are more encouraged and excited about your calling than ever before. For dates and locations and to register for an upcoming Art Conference, visit artconference.com.